Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we pray tonight as we come to your word and this prophecy about your son, that we will understand how this prophecy applies to us, and that we will have hope. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of every one of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, all of you who have children, don't ever, don't ever leave because of that kind of noise. If your child's screaming bloody murder, then maybe you should leave for a little while, but it's so beautiful to have the noise of children as we worship, and there's never been a time in history that that has not been constant in worship, you know, and so uh, I happen to feel good about it because it's my granddaughter, right? (laughs) Well, let's read our text tonight, which is found in the book of Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet, and uh, it's verses 1 to 7, Isaiah 9. This is the word of God, and it's eternally true. And especially on Christmas Eve, you know, can we hear some children? Some babies? All right. Okay. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of the peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Now, what... The, the, the principal blessing that's being promised here is there won't be any more gloom, so gloom is dark, right? Uh, but he will make it glorious. And he's speaking about what? Well, he's speaking about Galilee of the Gentiles. That it's been dark, it's been gloomy, but it's going to be glorious. The light's going to shine. It's been dark. It's been gloomy but the light is going to shine. The people who have been in gloom and dark, the light is going to shine. And he will make it glorious. Now, oftentimes in the prophets, in Scripture, what you'll have is you'll have 
promises that are really bad and promises that are really good right next to each other, okay? And so you'll have the prophet saying, you're going to die, and then they'll say, you're going to rise again, or you're going to be taken captive, but God's going to whoop up on your cap- the people that have taken you, you're going to be released and freed, all right? Plus, so, so what I'm saying is prophecies are complicated. Plus, you have to understand that prophecies often have to do with a fulfillment in the present and a fulfillment in the future. So if you want to know what Bible scholars and commentaries spend their time doing, they spend their time arguing that a prophecy has to be either negative or positive and has to either apply now or in the future. They're, they're, they, they cut things up and they argue about whether it's applied now or the future and whether, well, in this particular prophecy, we read that the Bible, in the book of Matthew, it actually applies this text to Jesus. So it's not real complicated, right? If the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells you how to understand the Old Testament prophet, you know it applies to Jesus. But it also did apply to that time. And so it's similar to the prophecy of, behold, a virgin shall conceive. So it has an application at the time, but it's clear that the large application, the heavy application, the really intense application, is still to come. So that's what's going on here. Some of the prophecy applies then. Some of it applies to Jesus in the future. Uh, Some of it's negative. Some of it's positive. Okay. Now, Galilee of the Gentiles. Where is Galilee? And I want you to think in your mind's eye and listen to what I'm going to tell you. So you all know that if there's a bad kingdom and a good kingdom of the Jews, when they split, the bad kingdom's in the north and the good kingdoms in the south. So Judea in the south was sort of the special good kingdom, and Israel, I, I I-N, in the north, in north, Israel up north was the bad kingdom, all right? Partly that was because Jerusalem was in Judea in the south, and that was the center of the worship, the sacrifices, that was the center of the religion. And you know that God commanded that that be the place they worship him. You know that the kings who were condemned all through the Old Testament were condemned for what? Well, for setting up and worshiping. Yeah, but where? High places. Why high places? Well, because you naturally go up on top of mountains and hills so that you get closer to God, right? And so they would set up high places that were what? More convenient. So that they didn't have to make the trek to go down to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, where is Galilee of the Gentiles? Well, you've got Judea in the south. Okay, so I'm looking down north-south. Jerusalem was in Judea in the south. And above Jerusalem, say up near Purdue, okay, near Lafayette, up there is where? What's the province, the nation that's up there? That's Samaria, okay? And then another 25 or 50 miles further is Galilee. So you've got Judea here and Israel here, but then Israel becomes Samaria and Galilee, 
All right? Now, why did they hate Samaritans? They hated Samaritans because they were mongrel. They weren't purebreds. They had been up there and they had intermarried. And what happens when you intermarry? You know very well, your parents tell you, marry a believer for heaven's sakes, please. And the reason is, if you marry an unbeliever, then you become mongrel in your spirituality, which in this case means you become an idolater. Okay? You turn from God. That's what happened to the Samaritans. The Samaritans intermarried, and so they began to be half-breeds, right? Right? Or remember in South Africa with apartheid? Anybody remember this? With apartheid, the blacks actually were more respected than the, the people who were mulatto, right? The people that were half white and half black were the people that everybody despised. That was Samaria. Half white, half black. Half Jew, half pagan Canaanite. So then, what's north above Samaria? Galilee of the Gentiles. So what were they like? They were worse than the Samaritans. <laughs> because they were closest to the most wicked parts of the Canaanites. And they were the most Hellenistic. They were utterly despised. Where did Jesus come from? Where did Jesus minister? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You remember that? So, this is the setup. One of the reasons that Galilee was so despised was that Galilee was the first that was taken into captivity by Tiglath-Pileser of the Assyrians. So they were the first people that were taken out of their country and out of their land into captivity, okay? And so they had suffered. Now, everything about this sermon tonight is about the impossibility of it making any sense to you. It's frustrating because I was talking to Joseph Spurgeon and I was saying, everything about the Bible is foreign to us today. We can't enter into the things that God speaks about in Scripture because we, we're not shepherds. We don't have sheep. We don't even have goats, although, did you get some? You do have goats now, huh? Okay, all right. But the rest of us don't know anything about sheep and goats. We don't know about being shepherds. We don't even know about butchering unless the Waynes come over sometime, you know. Um, then you add in the fact that this nation has never been what? It's never been invaded. We have never had any substantive invasion as a land. Now think about this. How much of scripture has to do with captivity and invasion and back and forth and bloody cloaks and jackboots? of war. This has to do with it. And so how do we understand the promises that are being made to people whose life experiences were sheep, dung, we can't even imagine the manger having dung, all right? And how do we imagine being taken captive? How do we imagine being crossbreeds, you know? Isn't that the melting pot of America? Don't we take pride in it, you know? And so that's our challenge here. Now, you know who Galilee of the Gentiles, you know they're even more 
half-breeds than even Samaria. They're further from the temple of Jerusalem than Samaria, okay? And so this promise is made that they will be glorious. They're in captivity, but he's saying to them, don't worry, I am going to rescue you from captivity. But then he gives much heavier promises. So verse 1 says, he will make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of Jordan, the sea, uh, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Now, I don't know about any of you, but one of the things I've been reading about for years is uh, flashlights. So like, I, I like flashlights, okay? When people left after the first service, everybody was showing me their flashlight. Um, well, if you know anything about flashlights, you know that there are people like Andrew Henry who actually have components that they buy that has a different throw, a different shape to the, to, to the light. And there are people that actually program the software in these little flashlights. And, you know, some of them will take three AAAs or an 18650. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, you, you haven't lived until you've used an 18650 battery. I'll just tell you that. All right. Until you've recharged one. All right. All right. Okay. So you don't, you're not giving me love on batteries. Any of you, have you changed the headlights on your car? Am I getting any love there? Any of you have custom, like you've put in blue? None of you have, you have, okay, right on, dude. All right, so I don't get any love on headlights. How about these lights here? Do I get any love for these, these lights here? These are very sophisticated lights that we bought when we built this place. And they're sophisticated in that they're dirt cheap. <laughs> and after a while, the artistic ones among us said, we have to get some additional lights because these things are horrible for the people up here. And the artistic ones were the people that were up here, you know. And, and so now we have some, how many of you like the lights that have been put in now that give us a better color up here? You like them. Now listen, what am I doing here? There is no darkness. There's no darkness. Rita Cuffey used to complain about the light pollution, that you can't see the stars. About the only place that you can see the stars anymore in the world is the outback of Australia. There are about two places where you can now see the Milky Way in any way like all previous history saw it. All right. And so when you say the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, we're like jaded. We're like, dude, I don't walk in darkness. Everywhere I go, I have light. I have a flashlight. I have, you know, light pollution. And then he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And so immediately we have difficulty because we don't feel that we live in darkness and we don't feel a need for light. And because of our taking light for granted, we flip it, we touch it, we yell at it, and it comes on. I don't need light, but I want you to realize that light all through Scripture is the way that we speak about God, 
And darkness is the way we speak about evil. And this is a theme in Scripture. So let me read a couple of things to you so you get in tune with what Scripture says about light and darkness. 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If you wonder about the origin of evil, you have your answer here. In him, there is no darkness at all. And that's what you need to know. And that's why it tells you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Then in Exodus 13, we read that the Lord went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and what? Pillar of fire by night, light. He led them by light at night. In Isaiah 60, we have a prophecy of what heaven is going to be like. And this is what it says about heaven in Isaiah 60. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory. So God will be the light, not the sun and the moon. Your sun will no longer set, S-U-N, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, will be over. And so that's what heaven is going to be like. This is how closely God is identified with light in Scripture. In Luke 1, we have Zechariah, who prophesies, when his son is, is announced, this is what he says. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. So this is John the Baptist being the prophet of Jesus. And his father says to him, you, child, will be the prophet of the Most High, for you'll go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So this is what John the Baptist does as he announces the coming of the light. All right? That's how we speak of Jesus. Then at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, we read in Matthew 4, now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee, 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 and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. So this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And it says here, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light dawned. The very next verse says this, all right? This is a fulfillment, and then it says this. Historically, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that to repent is what? To repent, to repent. You know what repent is, right? <laughs> to repent is to come into the light. 
To repent is to come into the light. Okay? Now, some of us, some of you, are beginning to get a glimmer of the meaning of this prophecy. You may not be able to identify with the whole issue of light. You may be jaded and take light for granted. But now you've heard that it was fulfilled. When what? When John the Baptist and Jesus preached repentance. Okay? You with me? Okay. Now, what relationship do we have with light if we refuse to repent? Okay? Well, here's what we read in Job 24. It says, others have been with those who rebel against the light. They do not want to know its ways, nor abide in its paths. The murderer arises at dawn, he kills the poor and needy, and at night he is as a thief. The eye of the adulterer waits for the twilight, saying, no eye will see me. And he disguises his face. In the dark, they dig into houses, they shut themselves up by day. They do not know the light. Now think about this, guys. (laughs) It's pretty clear that God is light, isn't it? And it's pretty clear that sinful man loves darkness. All right? Micah 7, But as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Do not rejoice over me, O my enemy. Though I fall, I will rise. Though I dwell in darkness, the the Lord is a light for me. Now let me read a text that we all know by heart, but we don't know enough of it by heart. I'm going to read John 3.16, but I'm going to continue a few verses after John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the judgment. So if we refuse to repent, if we refuse to come to Jesus, this is the announcement that will be made over our doom. Okay? This is the judgment. And here are the words. That the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. I mean, you guys, you know the old Monty Python's skit, you know, where is the ambiguity? How could you do a better description of the condition of law and of social media than a hatred for light? I mean, it's just like everywhere. It's gotten to the point now where any headline I read, I just know the very opposite is the truth. You know, we hate the light. And so we just spread darkness everywhere. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light 
and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. I'm glad you're sitting there tonight. Comforts me. (laughs) Now, that's the first promise of Isaiah, okay? And it has to do with light, but I want to continue because there are other promises here. Verse 3, you shall multiply the nation. Now, you guys, put your, have pity on me. Pity me. How am I going to talk to you about it being a wonderful promise that God will multiply a nation? I mean, to be a conservative political person is to decrease the nation. I don't want them foreigners, you know? Or Christian homes. We don't want any more children. And yet, here are the promises, you shall multiply the nation. <laughs> you know, have you read that COVID has caused everybody to stop having children? And the economic costs, Eric could probably talk for quite a while about the economic costs of everything surrounding COVID. And one of them is people aren't having children. Think about that. So here's the promise, you shall multiply the nation. Well, we have a failure to communicate here, don't we? We just don't identify with that. Then, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of what? So what is listed is the gladness. It's the harvest. How many of you had the... No, I'm not going to ask that. How many of you did not have the joy of harvesting fruit from your yard this year? Raise your hand. Come on. That's, that's, that's sad. <laughs> yeah, that would be the hardest thing probably for the two of you. And so we read this. We have the gladness of harvest and we will come ye thankful. People raise the song of harvest home and it you know, it's kind of nice that you get to eat mash or not mash, yeah, mashed potatoes and sweet potatoes. And then it says that that gladness, as the gladness of harvest, is like something. And what does it say it's like? It says, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. What am I supposed to do with you? <laughs> How am I going to communicate this? Now, honey... Let's read this story of the Crusades, okay? Sweetie pie, sit in my lap. Now look at the spoils. Mommy, do I get spoils when I get older? You know? Spoils are not anything that we want, that we talk about. And if you do try to talk about it, the mothers are going to tell you to shut your face. What are the spoils? It took, on some of the battles uh, during the Crusades, it took them... Three days to divide the spoil. In like Acre, the city of Acre, when they broke finally in, it took them three days to divide up the spoil. We have no comprehension of what the spoils of war are, do we? We don't. Okay, let me keep going. For you shall break the yoke of their burden, the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, the battle of Midian. Okay, so how many of us have had the yoke of captivity, the staff beating our shoulders, and the rod of the oppressor. I mean, we all look down on uh, 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 
What's the name of that country where if you spit, they rod you? They cane you. Singapore. Singapore. And we all looked down on Singapore, you know. Those, those prehistoric dinosaur people, you know, they cane people. <laughs> you know. And here's a promise from God that he's going he's gonna to deal with the rod, with the yoke, and, and with the cane, with, with the staff. Now, do you see the problem The problem is all this stuff just goes off our back like the water off the back of a duck. We don't look forward to the harvest. We don't want our nation to increase. We don't need any more light. Nobody's touching us with nothing, and least of all the police. You know? And we don't want anybody to talk about spoil. We don't want to read about it. But then the real problem is verse 5, okay? You ready? For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. And so here are all these wonderful Christmas promises. Right? Don't you just feel encouraged? (laughs) You know, God's going to burn up all the bloody rags. And he's going to get rid of all the jackboots. He's going to put them in a fire and burn them up. And so, our problem is that we pull verses out of the Bible and we make them into Hallmark greeting cards or precious angel figurines or cotton candy or something. And here's... Here's what we pull out of this text, okay? For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we know that's Jesus, and because we love Jesus, we think, well, those must be good things. And that's a Christmas verse. And so let's hear it Christmas Eve and we'll all go away warm-hearted. You know, with some real encouragement. Okay. So a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Well, son is sexist. Child is is neutral, although it sort of did refer to a, a little boy. But a son will be given to us, you know, all right, let's just, I mean, it's an old book. We'll, we'll deal with them saying a son. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, the word counselor points to the fact that Jesus is perfectly wise. And so when we go to him for wisdom, he gives us perfect counsel. And so there ought to be something there that we can get purchase with, right? That should be something that encourages us to know that Jesus is wise and that he will give us wise counsel. But people, I'm telling you, I'm your pastor. (laughs) And I don't care which elder or which pastor you talk to, you don't want counsel. You know, 
Let's, let's be honest here. <laughs> you know? Pastor, would you please give me counsel? Well, if you come to me and ask for it, and you have a specific, discreet thing you want counsel about, even then, my chances of upsetting you are better than 50%. All right? But when you don't ask for counsel, but we give it to you, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> you know? But Jesus will be a wonderful, and he'll be a counselor. He'll be a mighty God and an everlasting father and a prince of peace. And the government shall rest on his shoulder. And so we've been talking about war. We've been talking about bloody garments. We've been talking about light. We've been talking about the increase of the citizens of a nation or of its borders. It could be that. Uh, We've been talking about... um, getting rid of the rods, getting rid of the yoke, getting rid of the oppression, an end to the captivity, glory returning. And we know that it comes through this child, this son, and that the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so, do we want peace? I mean, honestly, do we want peace? Do we feel a need for peace? Do we feel a need for light? Do we feel a need for the breaking of the oak, for the end of the rod? Do we want counsel? And the problem with us today is that we are filthy rich. All of us in this room are filthy rich. And we're just like what Jesus said to the church of which church was it, Tim? That was rich. That was Laodicea. Yeah. We have need of nothing. We say we're rich. Now, let me ask, and this this brings it to an end. What is the oppression, the rod? What is the yoke? What is the darkness? What is the bloody mess? What is the jackboot? What are these things that we should go to Jesus for? And they're not... I mean, it was fulfilled when Cyrus, you know, ended the captivity of God's people, right? Okay, there was a fulfillment that was that. But the fulfillment, and you heard it earlier, the fulfillment is repentance. All of these things have absolutely no application to you if you're too proud to take your sin to God and ask him to forgive you. Christmas has no gift for you if you're not wearing your sin and mourning the darkness, mourning the oak, mourning the rod, mourning the staff, mourning the blood. And you say, well, what blood? And I say, think a little harder. Think a little harder. In the first service, I talked about how 
helpful it is to have COVID right now. But I said it's specifically very helpful to have Adam's death right now. (laughs) Because Adam's death took away our good doctor. And even if you only consider Adam as a doctor, I've been missing him constantly. What about this, Adam? Well, she has that. Well, which doctor would you go to, Adam? I mean, I was just constantly going to him, sending other people to him for counsel. And then there was the helpfulness he was to us in caring for our souls, talking to us about our sins, you know? And then there's, I'm missing him when I go over to their house, and dad's not home. And so there's just like this hole in the home. And why would God do this? Why would God take Adam? Now, those of you that didn't know Adam, that's your loss, but let's talk about COVID. Have you noticed how angry everybody is about COVID? Now, you can't predict which direction they'll be angry. You know, some people are angry in that direction, some people in that, 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 you know, but everybody's angry, you know. And you have neighbors who haven't come out of their house since last March. Why? They're terrified of dying. Death is very real to us right now. And why are people terrified of dying? Well, they're terrified because they don't want to face God. But why wouldn't they come to God with their sins? Why wouldn't we come to God with our sins? (laughs) It's not complicated, is it? It's our pride and our rebellion. So I told in the first service, I told how we have had our kids come over with their kids the last three nights. We can't do Taylor and Reese, and we can't do Joseph and Heidi because they're away, but we can do the others. And watching the grandchildren open the gifts, I'm remembering when I was a kid. And one year I asked my mother to get me a ski jacket. And that was stupid. I want a ski jacket like my friend Mitch, whose dad was a pilot for United, and they took him out to Denver skiing all the time, and they got him new skis every year for Christmas and took him to Denver. And So I want a ski jacket like that. And what my mother did was she bought a Carhartt coat, kind of, you know, with liner. And she cut the liner out and then wrapped that up and gave it to me. And so it was like gross, quilted, kind of ugly nylon, kind of, you know. And I wanted a ski jacket. She thought she'd get... Now, she didn't really rip up a Carhartt coat. But, I mean, it was, it was so ugly, it bore no resemblance. No resemblance to a ski jacket. Have any of you gotten a gift like that? Where the little, little child says, thanks, Mom, just what I didn't want. <laughs> you know? Well, I've been watching my grandchildren, and they're disappointed in what they get. And immediately what happens? Immediately, anger. Isn't that interesting? What is that anger? It's sin, isn't it? It's sin. Another time my mother gave me a gift, and it was, she was very proud of it. She sent it to Bloomington. And I opened it up, and it was a humongous women's sweater. 
And it wasn't a joke. She was so proud of it. And you knew it was a woman's sweater because it had the, the, the largest shoulder pads you've ever seen in your life. So here's Tim with these, this woman's sort of moo-moo you know, with shoulder pads. You know? And then she calls me out and she says, did you get my gift? And I'm like, yeah. You better wear it. She was so aggressive that I better appreciate that gift and wear it well. I never, ever in a million years, I did put it on for my family and we died laughing. And that was the end of that sweater, right? And so listen, in the next 24 hours, a lot of you are going to open gifts and you're going to see your children angry because you have not pleased them. And I'm using that as an illustration because that's so typical at Christmas time. And what you have to realize is the whole point of raising children is to teach them to take their sins to God. And they have to recognize their sins to take them to God. And so the gift of Christmas is for you to teach your children that God is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father. He is the light of the world to those who repent and turn to him for forgiveness. It's very simple. So the gift of Christmas is forgiveness. He's a savior. And he's not saving us from Tiglath-Pileser, you know, which was the one that had whooped up on Galilee of the Gentiles. He's not saving us from the Romans. You see that theme all through the Gospels, that the Jews are just determined that the Messiah will save them from the Romans. And people... You know what I'm about to say, do you? I am so sick of Christians wasting this opportunity of COVID by, well, by being angry about quarantine and face masks and all this stuff. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. We have an opportunity to to minister to a world that is scared to death of dying and of a disease. And you may say, well, that's because they're stupid. Okay, fine, they're stupid. Are you smart? No, none of us are smart. And so we have a wonderful opportunity to direct people's attention to the forgiveness of sins in baby Jesus, this little child. And he presents himself very humbly. Nobody can take offense at him. That's the whole point of him being born of a virgin, you know? Who's going to take offense at Jesus? And so instead of us reading and writing and all this crud that's political, you just don't have a clue what life has been like for people all through history. It's just so pathetic that it's face masks that are setting us off. It's crazy. And so let's draw the world's attention. One, one of the commentators on this says, actually, no, I remember who it was, but he says that people should look at a church and they should see light coming out of the church. And that's what we should be. I see light coming from Dawn and her children You are living, you're not dying. And we would think that you would die at this point. 
but you're living. You have faith to live. And that gives us strength. And let's all live. And that be our Christmas present to the world. That we have hope. Because we know that the real captivity is actually not quarantine, and it's actually not the Twin Towers, and it's not China overwhelming us financially. But the real captivity is a proud man who refuses to repent. Our Father, we pray that you will give us the gift of faith, that we will bring our sins to you and to our wives and our children this Christmas time as the special gift that we can give them. In Jesus' name, amen.